kids are welcome to gather in the back now as they head for children's worship. Uh, good morning. My name's Michael. <laughs> we, uh, it's the week after Easter, right? Uh, and it's good for us to um, ask the question, to wrestle with the question, so what? What does it matter for the rest of the year? It's, you know, Easter is one of the most highly attended services of the year, at least in the American church. Uh, Why? It could be tradition. could be an opportunity to get right with God. Uh, You know, cultural Christianity or casual Christianity would say, well, you do it because that's what people do, or at least a lot of people do. Or you do it because it makes you feel good or because it is that chance to get right with God. But cultural Christianity... or casual Christianity, I guess if we want to call it that, it misses something really fundamental, knowing relationally a living Savior that changes everything. <laughs> Cultural Christianity would take Easter or the resurrection and put it on the shelf till next year. So it's been a week for us in, in John's Gospel, as we work through John's Gospel, it's been a week, but this next passage that we come to is actually the night of the same day that uh, the tomb was found empty by uh, John and Peter and uh, Mary, of course, had the interaction with Jesus risen from the dead. This is the same night that we come back to. And maybe, I don't know if you ever wondered this, like, what do they do after all that? You know, what do they do the rest of their day after hearing news that Jesus was alive, that the tomb was empty? You know, <laughs> what did they do? Well, we get a little bit of a window into the rest of their day, or at least the evening. So I'll read our passage, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, so the disciples were where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to lead us through this time in his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us, your people. You did not leave us uh, wandering. You came and found us. Lord, I just pray that you would speak. Speak by your spirit through a broken, fallible vessel like me that is saved by grace alone, would we cherish that grace, the grace of the gospel, through your word now, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, you know me, I I can't go too long without uh, referencing C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien or something like that, right, you know, it's time again, I guess, Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, yeah, I love the VBS as we go through that, um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is sort of like the centerpiece, maybe, of that, that series. I don't know. There's, there's so many good books. They're all good. But 
you know that centerpiece, you know that story, right? The, the four children find their way into this land of Narnia through the wardrobe. And, of course, Edmund interacts with the White Witch, right? And he uh, loves this Turkish delight, so he's all in. And so he goes with her, and she's meanwhile says, well, hey, this is one of those children of this prophecy. There's four children that are that said they will reign in Narnia, and she didn't want to give up her reign, of course, so she held him hostage, hoping the other three kids would come along, and she could put an end to the prophecy. Well, the other three children, after finding out that Edmund was captured by the White Witch, you know, they find their way to Aslan, because they say, he, he can help. He can help you find your brother. And, you know, the story plays out a little bit, right? You, you know the story where Aslan eventually meets, has a meeting with the White Witch, and they deliberate uh, in private and come out with a solution. And the children don't really know what that is, but Edmund's freed, right? A little bit later, uh, camp, everyone's asleep except for Susan and Lucy. They can't sleep, and they notice that As- Aslan is walking out of the camp, and he sort of looks like he's carrying the weight of the world. Uh, so they walk with him for a little bit, and then eventually he says, okay, you can't follow me any further. You know, stay behind, stay here. Um, of course, they go and sort of get a view from the bushes, and they watch him, and to their horror, they're walk- he, they see him walking into the evil mob that's led by the White Witch. And, you know, the story continues. He, Aslan freely walks himself into that mob, and he's, he's tied up, he's bound, he's shaved, and then, of course, he is ultimately killed by the white witch and obviously the girls are broken they're sad they're leaving their their hero aslan is killed he's dead and they go out once the mob is gone and they sort of spend the evening there with him and uh, in grief and the first light of the next morning is when they kind of sadly realize that there's nothing else they can do so they say well i guess we'll need to go if you know the story you know they walk they begin to walk away and they hear the stone table crack that he was sacrificed on. And they look back, and his body's gone. And the next moment, they see through these first light sunrise beams of light, Aslan's walking between the columns towards them. And how do they respond to this moment? Huh, what do you look at that? What do you want to go get for breakfast? No, no, that's not how they responded they were exploding with joy because their hero's alive and they go running to him and jump on him and everything changed for them and they pretty quickly together realized that hey there's work to be done we've got purpose we've got a mission let's go let's go enter the battle there's a battle to be won it changed everything for the girls for the kids for the whole world of narnia What effect should an encounter with the living Jesus have on us? Huh. Well, that's interesting. What do you want to go get for lunch? Or does it change everything? Do we put the resurrection on a shelf when we hung up our Easter outfits last week? Or does it continue to have impact? What does that look like? What does that impact look like? Again, casual cultural Christianity would chalk the resurrection up to another fun holiday. What does it change? What does it functionally change? I look at my life. I, may, I know we look at our own lives and we wonder, well, what should it change? How should I look different? The reality is that an encounter with the living Jesus will change you. It has. 
how should I now live? What, what evidence should I see in my life if I've encountered Christ? Now, I want as I put these out, I want to say that <laughs> it's not like a switch that we turn on where we got it together all of a sudden with these three things, but we, we receive them, we grow into them. These three things, the, the text that sort of just fell out of the passage as I was looking at it this week, and I, <laughs> I have to say it doesn't often work like this, but these three points all start with the same letter, <laughs> three Ps. I guess it was very preacherly of me to make them all start with the same letter, but it's peace, it's purpose, and it's power. It's what we see in the text, and it's what I think we can begin to see evidence of in our lives if we have encountered a living Savior. Now, those are three nice-sounding words, right? They sound nice. Maybe you leave here and wonder, I don't what does that look like? How does that have anything to do with me? I don't know. But I think they represent, well, I know they represent three very real realities that we can begin to experience in Christ as we interact with him, as we enjoy relationship with him. But how do we walk in them? Well, let's, let's start with those. Let's work our way through these. Let's start, start with peace. But before we go there, I want to help us out here because Maybe you're like me, and we're all kind of sitting here thinking, like, I don't really feel peaceful. I don't really feel like I've got great purpose or certainly don't feel like I'm living with power. <laughs> I, the tendency is to run to, hey, I'll try harder. Try harder to make it happen. Make those three things happen in our lives. Or we just sort of throw our hands up and be like, ah, I'm not going to be able to figure those things out. Maybe somebody else can do that, but it's not me. Um, I want us to see that those three things are given to us by Christ. We can't make them happen. We can't produce them. I also want us to take note of this as well because we struggle. Who struggles with fear? I'm raising my hand because I do. Fear with me. The disciples, when they, you know, they were, these were the disciples that had been hanging out with Jesus, right? The ones that got word earlier that day that he was alive and come out of the tomb. They were out dancing in the streets, right? Oh, no, they weren't. They were locked up in a room in fear. I point that out because if they were struggling with that, we probably do too. And I want us to all be helped by that reality. We don't have it all together. But Christ is leading us into that. And so they weren't dancing in the streets. They were fearfully huddled up in a locked room. And so maybe they had gotten word that he was risen. And I also want to point out the fact that just mere knowledge of a risen Savior doesn't necessarily change anything. It's an encounter with a relationship with a living Savior. We struggle with fear, just like these disciples did. Also, you've probably thought this. I think about it. Sometimes we think, gosh, I, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen him come out of the tomb. I wish I could have been with the disciples when he walked into that room. My faith would really soar then, right? Uh, who's thought of that? Who's wondered that? <laughs> well, this is going to be more for next week in the next passage because Thomas is one of the only disciples that's not here in this passage. He's, he comes later, and, the, and that'll be next week, and we'll save that for then. But after Thomas touches Jesus' wounds, he said, hey, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch them and really verify this. Jesus says to him then, you believe because you've seen Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. 
that's you and I. Okay? How does that work? How, how does that work for us? How is it m- is a blessing for us to have not seen and yet believed? Well, I think the key is in verse 22 of our passage this morning, where Jesus breathed on him and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We, uh, <laughs> the same Holy Spirit that's given to the disciples here is the same Holy Spirit given to us. There's no difference, no, no variation. It's the same Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was better that I go <laughs> so that you can have him. That's the key. And we'll come back to that. We're going to get more into that later when we talk about this power. But back to the disciples. In the huddled up ro- they're huddled up in the room in fear. They're behind locked doors. It's not necessarily a picture of peace. <laughs> right? They're struggling. They don't have peace. They were, as we heard earlier, as James led us through the uh, our confession, you know, they, they, they felt like their jobs were gone. You know, they maybe thought they were behind the, the right winning candidate who was going to become king, and they were going to be a part of his cabinet, and everything was going to be awesome. And then it was like the whiplash of all whiplashes, right? The, they see Jesus essentially turn himself in to be killed, and they watch all of that play out. And then they have this surprising news that, wait, he's, the tomb's empty? What is going on? Like, imagine the roller coaster ride they're on. They're fearful of their well-being, their very lives. And I'm sure they thought, well, the, the Jewish authorities are about to find us and round us up, and we're next. I don't know what to do about this Jesus' tomb being empty yet. But then Jesus shows up. And it just says that he came and stood among them in the, in the, the locked room. I how did he get in there? I know there's various perspectives on that. Some say, well, in his resurrected body, he's able to just move through the wall. Doesn't say. Maybe the door miraculously unlocked for him and he was able to walk in. Maybe somebody heard him coming and they unlocked the door and let him in. I, I, I don't know, but the point is that he came and stood among them, but they were shocked to see him. Because in Luke's gospel, it says that they thought they'd seen a ghost. <laughs> I don't, there's something to do with our, his resurrected body that was so amazingly uh, shocking to see that they didn't know what they were looking at. <laughs> they didn't recognize him. Jesus says, peace be with you. Twice, actually. Now, it was a common greeting in that day, in that culture, and it's actually still a common greeting in cultures like that today. In the Arabic-speaking world, actually, uh, when we lived in the UK, Michelle and I would frequent a uh, an Indian restaurant called the Raj, and most of the guys there uh, were Muslims, and they at one, one point taught me their greeting, "Salam alaikum," means peace be with you. It was actually uh, derived from the Hebrew, for the Aramaic. It would have been very similar to what Jesus said in Aram- Aramaic there to the disciples. Then, peace be with you. We we have our our greetings, cultural greetings, don't we? Hey, how you doing? Hey, hope you're doing well. I'm fine, thanks. You know, we they don't necessarily carry a lot of weight. It's just a way to say, hey, how's it going? How you doing? I see you. When Jesus says, peace we be with you, do you think it carried more power? Do you think it carried more weight? Or was it just showing up and greeting them? What was in that greeting? What was going on? Because when he said, peace be with you, you notice what he did? Look at these. Wounds, his scars, 
scars. He showed them their side, his side. What's going on there? Now, it could have been that he just goes, he saw their shock and their disbelief at what they were actually seeing. And maybe he goes, hey, hey, just relax, guys. It's me. Remember, here's my identifying markers. It's, it's me, remember? I think there's more going on than just that because I think that would reduce peace down to merely the absence of stress or fear or conflict. And peace is way bigger than that. <laughs> it carries us through all those things. So what is going on? I think it, we have to get into an understanding of the biblical definition of peace. What is peace according to Scripture? Well, shalom. Shalom. What is shalom? It's hard to define it. <laughs> uh, maybe the best way to get at it is, is wholeness. Who here does not feel whole? Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but I would think everybody in the room does not feel whole because of whatever. What we, we feel like there's bits and pieces of us that have been knocked off that we've lost over the years, right? Stuff has happened, whether it be physical ailments or relationships that we've lost, people that we've lost. I did a funeral earlier this week and just acknowledged the fact that death leaves us feeling less than whole when we grieve someone that we love. And we feel less than whole. We're in, we're in exile in this life because we are not whole. We feel inadequate <laughs> sometimes, and so we chase success, or we chase uh, trying to be a good person to sort of maybe piece ourselves together. We feel lonely maybe, and so we chase after relationships, thinking that it will give us that peace. We think, <laughs> if I can just get this situation here worked out, or if I can just get this done over here, if I can just fix this situation, then I'll have peace, right? Have you ever sort of chased the, the elusive peace concept? <laughs> always a little further down the road just out of reach uh, i find myself in my own head having that conversation well if i can just get this kiddo to learn how to potty train <laughs> or do this fix this on the house that keeps breaking or do this or get this relationship worked out well how would you fill in the blank then i'll have peace but then there's something else right it's always just out of reach and what we're doing is we're running on the hamster wheel of anxious toil, and we have no peace. And what I've found out, my realization over the last couple of years is I've thought about that. I've thought a lot about peace, Michelle and I, together. And I realized that functionally, I'm just trying to produce it for myself, or I'm trying to produce it for my family. And guess what? We can't. We can't produce peace. It has to be given to us. But Jesus shows up, and says peace, and he shows peace. Now, what's going on there? He says, look at me. These wounds were for you. (laughs) There's nothing more for you to do to have peace, to have wholeness. Yeah, you won't feel whole until glory, but there's nothing more for you to do to make yourself something, because I did it for you. The work is done. (laughs) There's nothing to do. It's done. And here's the proof in these wounds, but if we are functionally living our lives trying to make ourselves whole or trying to produce peace, then we become sort of like a black hole. 
And maybe you know what I'm talking about with that. It's sort of where we need others to come through for us to produce peace for me. I need someone to make me feel better about myself, or I need this, or I need that thing. And it's a process of intake. It's receiving. It's taking. It's inflow. Sort of like a black hole. It just sucks things in, but it's never full. Right? And we don't have peace. That's our functional direction of of living. And we slip in and out of that all the time. Even in Christ, we struggle. We fall back in those ways, don't we? I know I find myself doing it. But our lives are marked by that if we are without peace. Peace is given by Christ. The the prophet Isaiah said, His chastisement brought us peace. By His wounds, (laughs) we are healed. What are you waiting for to have peace? What are you trying to achieve to have peace? It's only going to be from an encounter with the living Christ in relationship with him. Now, having peace takes us to the next point, the next piece, (laughs) purpose. Peace has that effect. It establishes purpose. Jesus said twice, remember, peace be with you. And the first time he goes, this is peace. The second time he says it, He says, as my Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Peace gives purpose, mission. Now, we probably don't often think of ourselves as missionaries, right? That's the people that are on that wall out there, the missionary wall, right, that are in other countries or in other contexts doing other things. We don't think of ourselves that way. But this, this commission wasn't just for the disciples when he said, hey, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Well, that echoes the high priestly prayer that we worked through a few weeks ago. Remember when Jesus said, oh, by the way, I'm not just praying for these disciples right in front of me. I'm praying for all who will believe in me through their word. Again, that's that's all of us. We're all commissioned into that work. But how does peace give purpose? Well, remember, the lack of peace becomes the black hole, the intake. Remember, it's it's all intake. And so by nature, there's not any purpose. Because there's just an inflow. Nothing's being accomplished. It's like a stagnant pond. You know, it's not feeding anything. But when we have peace, when we see Christ says, rest in this, you don't have to run the hamster wheel anymore. You can move outward. You can move towards others. It changes the flow, the directional flow of our lives from inward to outward. In back in the fall, we talked about stewardship. Remember, and the big part of what it meant to be a steward was to have purpose. If, if we don't have purpose, and I know we all can identify with this because we struggle. Who doesn't struggle with feeling like they have purpose at times? Like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And when we don't feel purpose, we can crumble or feel like we're crumbling. But remember when we talked about stewardship, uh, uh, we talked about Harold Abrams and Chariots of Fire, and he said, I have ten lonely seconds to justify my existence by winning this 100-meter dash Get the gold medal. <laughs> or Rocky Balboa in the movie, he said, I, I, need, I just need to go the distance with Creed so I can prove to myself that I'm not just a bum from the neighborhood. What is it that we need to establish our purpose? What purpose matters? What purpose will last? Well, remember that peace is wholeness. Wholeness of all things. Restoration of all things. It's what Jesus is doing. You know, he said, hey, behold, I make all things new. 
it's not just wholeness for us, it begins with us, but it's actually wholeness for all creation. Everything's being made new. And so if that's what Jesus was sent into the world to do, that's what we're also sent to do. It's the opposite of the fearful huddle. And again, if you're like me, sometimes I've, I have the fearful huddle in my own head. I'm stuck in my own head. You ever get there? <laughs> we have conversations with ourselves, and we get stuck, and we don't move out. But when we do, when we are moving out, we can be sent like Christ. You know, Christ didn't uh, camp out at the synagogue planning fun events, hoping that everyone would come to him. He, he went to people. <laughs> he went with a genuine curiosity for others. He wanted to know their story, what made them tick. And that's how we're sent to others. You know, the tendency is to huddle up in fear because the world can be scary. It can look messy. We can come up with all kinds of reasons why we wouldn't want to go. But we don't have to go to another country. We don't have to go to another community. In fact, the people that we're often called to are probably already in our lives. Maybe we just haven't necessarily looked or seen them through that lens. <laughs> Maybe it's just prayer, asking the Lord to open our eyes to see those people that are already there. I tell you, the Lord has really opened my eyes to uh, and given me favor with uh, folks in the restaurant world. I've tried to frequent a few places here in town where I'm known and trying to be known among the the several restaurants. And I would say that the restaurant workers in our community are oftentimes the overlooked among us. You know, we see them when we need something. Hey, can you get a refill? Hey, can I get the check? Uh, hey, I want to order a to-go thing. But uh, sometimes it's slowing down and saying, hey, there's a person there. I wonder what their story is. I wonder what makes them tick. You know what happens when you explore that? You find and you discover their same need for peace that we have. And there's a connecting point, a, a connecting point of need for the gospel. That's just one example, but really it's purpose moving out towards others living. <laughs> and that can be found in all kinds of ways, in the most ordinary ways, by the way. But it takes peace to get outside of ourselves. Now, again, I can, I, I'm good at coming up with excuses. We all are. We can come up with legitimate excuses. Like, man, I, I, they're busy. I don't have time. That they're not going to want to talk to me. They're, they look too busy. Or, gosh, I'm, this is going to feel awkward. Uh, I, I think I'm the king of awkward. I think everybody's awkward, but I'm really good at being awkward. You know, it's weird. it feels weird to talk about spiritual things or, or st our stories or deep, meaningful life things. Let's just keep it on the surface. All kinds of, sometimes it's like, I don't have time, right? Man, I'm, what if they really do want to talk? What if they don't want to stop talking? What if it gets messy? All kinds of ways we can talk ourselves out of it. But deep down inside, don't we know that really we're, <laughs> we're made for the adventure of this? The adventure of pursuit of other people. I'm going to take us to Tolkien now. The Hobbit. When Gandalf first shows up at Bilbo's house, Gandalf says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging. And it's very difficult to find anyone. And Bilbo says, I should think so. In these parts, we're a plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. They make you late for dinner. Can't think what anybody sees in them. 
Do we feel that? Do we resonate with Bilbo? <laughs> I just kind of keep to. I just want to keep to the status quo. It's working for me. It's comfortable. I'm good. It could get messy if I if I step out of that, right? Well, a little bit later, Gandalf says to Bilbo, "You'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back." Bilbo says, "Can you promise that I'll come back?" Gandalf says, "No." <laughs> and if you do, you will not be the same. Moving out towards people will change you. And if you are going with the peace of Christ, it will be a change for the better. You see people through the lens of Christ, through the eyes of Christ. (laughs) We think like Bilbo. Sometimes we can get in our heads, though, again. We've got to think, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go talk to somebody. I'm going to get the, let me make my plan. Uh, what do I say if they ask this? What do I do here? How do I answer this question? Right? You go through your head, and, and, and guess what happens? You never actually go towards anybody. Right? That happens, doesn't it? To, to that, Gandalf says to Bilbo, the world is not in your books and maps. It's out there. And it's good. One more thing quickly to make to take note of in this mission. Jesus showed up resurrected bodily. There's a this salvation that we have, this peace that we have is not it's spiritual, but it's holistic. It's body, it's creation, restoration of all things because Jesus showed up with a resurrected body. And he went, "Look." In the other accounts, he he actually ate some fish with them. He did some ordinary stuff. But it's, he's showing us it's the first fruits of the redemption of all things, and it's going to be a restoration of real life. So many, other, many would say that, hey, don't other religions offer a form of salvation, some spiritual salvation, to which we would want to say, not like this. Not a redemption, a holistic redemption of all things. Joni Erickson Tata. Christian author, maybe you've heard of her, maybe you've read some of her stuff, it's pretty good. She's a quadriplegic due to an accident that she had at 17. She says, the Christian faith is the only salvation that promises me a new spinal cord. How about that? That's the mission we're on, that's the message that we can bring, because Christ was risen from the dead. Now briefly, very briefly, living power. How do we go out? Okay, you're, you're sitting there thinking, okay, we got this mission, we got this purpose, and I'm supposed to have peace. Well, <laughs> how do I go do this? Well, again, remember, you don't have to muster it up. This stuff is not something you produce. It is given. And briefly, that point comes from verses 22 and 23. We go back around to Jesus breathing on them and saying, I give you the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's the same Holy Spirit that was given to these disciples. And these guys went, and they were martyred. They had peace. I'm sure they struggled like us, but they went with power. But he breathed on them, okay? There's, a, there's, there's something going on with that. The same word in the Greek that means spirit means breath. And it ties back to the Old Testament with God breathing life into Adam and Eve. God breathing over creation and creating. It's, it's a creation power, a creating power, and in this case, a recreating power that we go out with. But it's all given by Christ. We don't produce it, but that is how we are sent out. We might, 
how, how are, there are so many ways to write ourselves off, right? I'm not, I'm not equipped for going out. I'm not equipped for kingdom work. Somebody else can do that. I, I don't know enough. Some, I, I'm too awkward for this. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Let me tell you, you've got everything you need if you have the Spirit, the Spirit of God. You are equipped. <laughs> you go with power, with peace, and purpose. I'll just close with this question briefly. What would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Some may say, oh, man, I've, i got to get my act together. i got to clean myself up. i got to get my everything in order. I've got to, man, i got a lot of work to do. That may be a person who lacks peace. Another person may say, oh, let's live it up. Let's throw a big party. Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Maybe that's a person without purpose. Another may say, we've got to huddle up. We've got to hunker down. It's going to get scary out there. That may be a person who lacks power. Martin Luther, a uh, middle-aged medieval times reformer of the church when he was asked that question he said let's plant an apple tree maybe for us it's having a conversation with a friend parents changing a diaper going to work having a conversation with a co-worker the point is that it can be very ordinary when we live with this peace that Christ gives we live on the purpose that he's given us and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do the most ordinary things in the world because we're doing it day in and day out if our eyes are open to it. We don't have to have this last-minute uh, stress of doing something big and extraordinary. We can do the most ordinary tasks of all. What if we had that peace? What if we lived into it? And we saw the purpose of Christ, and we had impacting power in everyday, ordinary things. And we saw them all in light of the source, the living, resurrected Christ. Father, we thank you for this brief interaction that you uh, gave us a window of insight into in your word. Recorded for us here. When you showed up with those disciples who were huddled up in fear, Lord, you know us. We huddle up in fear in our heads and our hearts, sometimes actually doing that, Lord. Sent Christ. He showed up in that room, and he, he imparted peace. He gave purpose, and he gives us power. Lord, you know that we're going to still struggle with those things, and we're not going to get it all right, but I pray that all of us here and anyone in this room who's never been able to experience that encounter with the living Savior, I pray that we would continually run back to you, the source of those things, to receive them, to walk in them, for your glory, for our good. In Christ's name, amen.